Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. I'm really grateful to have two authors joining me via Zoom that have um, have jointly written um, a book called The Book of Mormon for the Least of These, Volume 3, and that's Margaret Olson Hemming and Reverend Dr. Fatima Saleh. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having us. Um, Thank you. These are a couple of women I, I really admire. I want to introduce them to, to you, and then um, we'll get them talking. Dr. Reverend Fatima Saleh was born in Brooklyn to a Puerto Rican and Malaysian mother and an African-American father. Dr. Saleh received her PhD in mass communications from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and a master's degree from Syracuse University in public communications as well as a master's in divinity from Duke University. She launched a certain work in 2018 in an effort to provide racial equality consultation and training for organizations and and churches. In 2021, Salea Ministries Incorporated, a religious nonprofit, was focused on clergy wellness and well-being. And Dr. Saleh was on um, episode five, uh, 710. If you want to hear more of her story, um, I was deeply moved listening to her story. Um, you could check out episode 710 that we did earlier this year. Margaret Olson Hemming is a board member of the Center for Latter-day Saint Art and former editor-in-chief of Exponent 2. She earned a master's degree in international peace and conflict resolution from American University. She lives in Chapel Hill with her spouse, three children, and a large vegetable garden. So these two women both are joining me via Zoom from North Carolina, Chapel Hill for Margaret and Durham for um, Fatima. And, um, you know, we as a church are studying the Book of Mormon this next year, 2024, and I am planning to have all three of these volumes to be my companion study guides as I read the Book of Mormon um, through the lens that these two authors and theologians and um, have and to help me um, better be a better Latter-day Saint and a better um, Christian and a better disciple of Christ. I'll just read a couple. We'll put the Amazon link in the show notes, listeners, to all three of these volumes. Um, The most recent volume, volume three, that we may talk a little bit more in this podcast just came out in December of 2023, but I'll just read a couple of notes from the Amazon listing. The social justice commentary of the Book of Mormon empowers readers to understand the text as a book that speaks to issues of racism, sexism, immigration, refugees, and socioeconomic inequality. The Book of Mormon for the Least of These offers an unflinching examination of some of the difficult and troubling sections of the Book of Mormon while also advocating for a compassionate reading of the Holy Text. As a verse-by-verse close reading, the book examines new layers of interpretation, meaning given even those deeply familiar with the Scripture, innovative tools for enabling, encouraging powerfully with the Book of Mormon. And then um, one of the um, one of your notes of praise for the Book of Mormon, I like this. These two scholars have had enough confidence in the Book of Mormon to raise questions that will make the Book of Mormon for the least of these an important work for a long time. So um, with that, I'll get the um, I'll turn it over to um, Fatima and Margaret. And our hope is that you know this podcast to be helpful, and I will learn something about. Um, just a comment. When I read the Book of Mormon, often, often I'll just have a lens like, what is, I'll read it through what is Christ teaching, or what is a teaching about the atonement, or what is a teaching about heaven? And sometimes we're even encouraged to have different colors or different, whole different Book of Mormon. And so one of the things I'm planning on doing in 2024 is, is a whole new reading um, through the kind of the social inequality perspective and what I can do better as a Latter-day Saint disciple to meet the needs of others. So that's my five-minute introduction, listeners, and I'm going to turn it over to these two women. Um, First, I want to say that it's so good to see you again, Richard. Likewise. Last time I was here, I was just, I um, 
I kind of cried all over your podcast. So there you go. Um, I'm hoping that today I'll keep it a little bit more together. Um, <laughs> did such a great job. <laughs> thank you. I was just, it was wonderful speaking with you and it felt, it feels really good to see you again and to have this space with you again. Um, thank you for creating space in the world where we can have some tough and yet really God-given conversations and discussions about what it is to be in these bodies and live fully into God's God's plan for us. Um, Margaret um, has asked me to um, begin with our, I guess, the origin story. Uh, I, I love that for superheroes and stuff like that. But anyway, not that we're superheroes in the least, uh, but it feels like after seven years of this, there. Uh, of writing and moving this together that um, I think in our first book, we had really talked about how we, how we met. Um, and I just want to say, when I was writing my book, I told Margaret, I'm like, Margaret, didn't we meet here? And she's like, no, we didn't. We met somewhere else. I'm like, oh, we, are you sure? And so I just want to say that Margaret has to correct my memory <laughs> of when we met. And so I, um, the fact that we're beginning with me may be a little bit, um, I don't know, <laughs> shaky. So Margaret, as always, come in and correct me if my memory does not serve me right. Okay. Um, and as we started this um, more than seven years ago, it was just simply us as developing a friendship. And I, and as a friendship really evolved and moved, we, we really thought about this book and it was really Margaret's catalyst and her idea um, that we start putting down some of the ways in which we, I and her were approaching the text, um, the Book of Mormon. And I can't even believe it. So, oh, seven years ago, um, I would have to say it was a rough beginning with her and I. Um, it wasn't rough beginning, beginning, but after that, when we were trying to figure out authorship and how to do this, um, it felt um, it was a lot of how do we do this as a, a black, brown woman and a white woman? How do we make sure that the work of both of us is acknowledged and the work we were doing? And so we had a couple of hard conversations and I even fasted that I would know how to move in this project with Margaret. Um, I'm going to find out um, God deeply loves Margaret and um and how I wanted to approach it wasn't necessarily, it was coming from a place of deep, uh, my own my own experience with how the work of black, brown people move in space of whiteness and white people. And so I really was guarded and wanted to make sure that this felt like I was still seen or the work I added was seen. And as we struggled through that, um, so the first, I don't know if you can tell by the evolutions of our titles, like <laughs> the titles alone, how we're naming, like, I want you to, cause while we're writing all of this theological thing, I, you know, this theologist exegesis, which exegesis is just like a really good examination of text, really like you really are delving into the, to the scriptures. That's exegesis, a big old word. Um, and it took me about three years of divinity school to actually be able to pronounce it. Mm. But if you look at our titles alone, like when we do authorship, you'll notice that even the joining words and who comes first and is, is switches. Mm. And I want to say that now me looking at this and the last book is Margaret first with me. And because Margaret is like 95% of this book. Um, she's shaking her head, but I know what I know. Um, and I know just the fact that she wrote the whole index in the back is, is a hundred percent of that index that she spent hours doing was no short work. And I didn't contribute not a single lick to that. So, um, I think that above all that we approach and we, and we tackle in these three volumes, what feels like the testimony for me underneath and grounding this work is really the love and friendship 
that Margaret and I have for each other and what it was to do a work that not many women do, what to do a work um, in the church coming from who we are in our bodies as a black and brown woman in friendship and a white woman in friendship and in and working colleagues. Um, and I, I will always say that the best thing I got out of these three volumes in these seven years was Margaret. And if you look at Fatima with Margaret and Margaret, then Fatima and Margaret, then Margaret with Fatima, and you look at our authorship, it'll tell you that doing the work of reading scripture, doing it together, wrestling it out in relationship even, and how it plays out in relationship, even in justice-minded people, people who are aware and are working. And that if you keep doing that kind of work, that it ends up that reading scripture and moving in scripture in these glorious liberation ways absolutely has the power to transform and move you into beautiful relationship with one another. So we wrote three volumes. Uh, okay, that's great. I got Margaret. Um, and that'll always feel like the biggest gift. That'll always feel like when we had some of the toughest conversations, not just about the text, but how justice and activism and living it out in our lives meant when Black people were being and still are being shot. And when there's genocide and political unrest and what does it look like in our families as we're having these discussions? What does it look like to talk about LGBTQIA plus issues within our families as we're writing about them in, in the book? But they're living out and playing in our real lives, in our families, in our daily lives. And we, Margaret and I, got to have those conversations, both as approaching it as scriptural and both as how we live it as mothers, as women, as a white woman, as a woman of color, and how we absolutely try and embody the very thing we're writing about and looking at the scriptures for guidance and support and affirmation, and even being wrestling with scriptures and not knowing what in the world they're saying about things. Like, what are you doing? Even when you're questioning prophets and you're like, you've lost your mind, Nephi, what are you doing? Like, and to be able to wrestle with Margaret in the text was a holy endeavor. Well, it, um, as you can see, Fatima brings the emotional heft to this project. Every time I listen to her, I'm just, um, I, I feel like I could sit at her knee and, and listen to her speak all day. She's just so full of, of love and, and strength. It's just astounding to me. Um, I mean, as you can tell from hearing her, this is a very unusual project in many ways. I think it was, um, you know, it's unusual for a black, brown woman and a white woman to, to work on something, uh, like this. And, and we had to negotiate a new space, I think, because there weren't patterns for, for how to do this, um, in, in true partnership. And we also had to navigate new space for women, um, taking on a, a scriptural, um, project. You know, I, I, I had, I had many people, many men respond to me through this of like, why aren't you talking about heavenly mother? Or why aren't you talking about, um, women in the priesthood? And there's sort of this idea of the narrow range of things that, that women can talk about. And, Frankly, there are not that many women um, writing about scripture in the church. And so we had to navigate a new space that way. Um, so it felt like, and, and then of course, the entire premise of the project, which is to say that the Book of Mormon has messages of liberation and that it tells, it witnesses that God cares about the poor, that God cares about 
injustice, that God cares about racism, that God cares about sexism, that God cares about children, that God cares about widows, all of these things that we don't typically read into the Book of Mormon. And we were sort of planting this flag and saying, it's here, it's right here. And we just have to, we just have to look at it and acknowledge it and celebrate it. And so it feels like kind of every step of the way, um, this was, this was breaking, um, breaking ground in, in new ways. Um, I just want to, to emphasize too. We said this at the beginning of the the first book, but I think it's important to say we we never claim that this is the singular way of reading the Book of Mormon. Um, It's just a vastly underutilized one. And as much as we love our own text and the readings that we've done, what we really hope comes out of this is that people will feel empowered to read the Book of Mormon in new ways, that we don't have to stick to one version of what these stories mean, that we don't have to read them and say, okay, got it, you know, time to to move on to the next story, or I don't have to revisit that for another four years till we, you know, till we cycle back through Come Follow Me, that there's a, a richness to this text. And if you ask different questions, you will get different answers. And I feel like what what Fatima and I brought to this, particularly Fatima, was asking questions of the text that have not been asked before. And a lot of that comes from um, our life experiences and our, um, you know, sort of background and the things that that have that are important to us and that we needed answers for from the text. Uh, both to both of you from behalf of our listeners, that was just a beautiful introduction. And I didn't realize that this would be partly a story of just how you two came together to work. <laughs> and that's a beautiful love story if I can use that and it's an un- mm-hmm. it's a story that no one's ever written before um and so that was really moving for me just to and figure out how to balance this and complement each other and use your differences in a in a way that made the book even better and I think that is helpful for all of our listeners that are working together at times with somebody different than us but I think we can sometimes accomplish more good in in our in as we work together um then i wrote down a and i want to get keep you talking but um some things you said margaret i wrote down just these phrases that just resonate with me that we don't usually use these phrases in our church messages of liberation um god cares about the poor racism women children um, vastly underutilized this reading of the Book of Mormon. If you ask different questions, you get different answers. So um, I just love, you know, the timing of the, your work um, and the need for your work um, in our world that's becoming increasingly divided um, and how the Book of Mormon can help heal these wounds and bring us together. Um, so keep sharing um, more thoughts. Thank you. I I want to add to Fatima so so consistently gracious to me and far kinder than I deserve. Um, hold on, sorry. <laughs> yes. Okay. Just see see how she's doing this right now. She's going to attend. We did this all the time over Zoom for years. <laughs> I we love had it. kids in our laps. We had kids coming in. People have dressed, dogs barking. <laughs> and then we'd be like, hold on one second. And we decided somewhere along the line, we would just not even apologize. Just, like, this is life. We're trying to like do this as mothers with like in the midst of all the things. So like when she just left, I'm like, oh, that's reminiscent of all the many times that she and I would leave the screen. And sometimes we wouldn't even say anything. I wouldn't even say I need to leave. I just go because I'm like, she knows I'll be back. It's true. I love and I love, 
Fatima at one point said, we're not going to apologize for our children interrupting us because this is just part of the work. And in fact, it's it's an integral part of the work because we ask different questions because of the children that are interrupting us. Um, anyway, I just wanted to say Fatima is always so kind and generous to me. And, and we I feel the same way about our friendship that it is by far the greatest gift of of this project. And and I feel like I got far more than she did because I got Fatima and she gave me the Book of Mormon because I came to this project um when when Fatima and I first started talking about the Book of Mormon I didn't have a close relationship with the text. I had struggled with it for years as a book that, um, you know, is extremely violent and, uh, you know, has very few female characters. And I am, I, I didn't know how to connect with it. And it was really Fatima starting to talk about, this is a book where the origin story is of a family that have to leave their home and walk into the wilderness and become refugees and seek haven in a new land. And we started having these conversations of just telling these stories that are right there. It's not like we're changing the stories. It's not like we're, um, you know, trying to force them into something that they're not. It's just a way of talking about them and looking at the lessons of them in a different way than I had ever understood before. And and I hear the same story from readers who express, you know, a similar story of what I went through and said, you know, telling me, particularly women saying, this is the first time I've ever loved the Book of Mormon. Or this is the first time I've ever read it and felt peace and, and you know, excitement about the text. And so, um, you know, it's kind of ironic. I learned about the Book of Mormon from a Baptist pastor. And uh, I truly feel like she she not only gave me the book, but she gave me new ways of thinking about God. And it's it's completely changed not only my relationship with the text, but also, you know, my own journey with God. I'd have to say that I've always loved the Book of Mormon. You know, when uh, I'm I'm just humbled that Margaret would say that because when we would meet together, I'm like, how could you not love the Book of Mormon? What's going on? Like one of the things that I um, when we had our old um, previous podcast, I said there was things that I took with me, even though I may not be active in in. Yeah, um, Latter-day Saint faith that I took the Book of Mormon with me. I'm like, this book is amazing. Like, I'm not, uh, I may not be in your pews, but let's be honest, the book is just absolutely nothing short of some of the greatest scripture I have been able to um to to read. And I and this is someone who's read quite a bit of holy text. And um I'm just looking and I opened up my Book of Mormon to Alma 32 um, and 33 and just where Alma is just um, and we know these chapters really well um, for most of us. Um, But if you just I mean, I can open it up and this whole thing of an exercise of faith. um, I love um, 32 verse 23. Uh, and now he imparted his word by angels unto men, yea, not only men, but women also. Now, this is not all. Little children do have words given unto them many times, which confound the wise and the learned. I'm like, come on, Alma. Like, if we're going to, like, um, I just think that these, these things are like, it's, it's like, just go ahead and tell you, let me tell you who God can preach through. Let me tell you who revelation can come through. And this verse is just like, beautiful. And this is just me opening up the Book of Mormon and literally just going, boom, and and finding um, Texas. And I have in my margins, I you can't tell because this is on a podcast, but I have in my margins of the Book of Mormon, just not just men, but women and children. So we're talking about our Gen Zers. We're talking about this generation rising up who know social media and everything else. And yet watch them confound us with the amount of wisdom 
that they're holding and can give us? And are we listening to each other well for what God has given each other? And are we binding that up in age? Are we bond? Are we saying who can speak to us from God because of age or because of gender and or sexual orientation? Because this text is telling you, do not tell God who God can come through and who can confound even you. So I feel like to not almost read the Book of Mormon. So I may be a little bit passionate about this, <laughs> but I think to not read the Book of Mormon from the lens of social justice and, and the lens of like, what is it that God would want us to know to, to be free in God's love? And this book is nothing short of just story after story of prophets getting it right and then sometimes going off straight and being honest about them like selves. I love our prophets in the Book of Mormon. You want to know why? Because they'll tell you when they mess up. It's the best thing I've ever seen in my life. They're like, oh dear heavens. Okay, that was wrong. You know, uh, and God scolded me or God scolded me for four hours. Wasn't the brother Jared? Like he was like, God just, I, who, if I was ever writing my holy text or writing anything about my journal, you would never hear anything about God saying I was doing wrong. Okay. I would just edit it out. It'd be an abridged version version of it all. But I feel like they are just coming to you in real honesty and vulnerability. And they're asking you to see them both as human and as prophet, to see them both as someone who works and has call but also messes up and gets things wrong and sometimes even may lead in ways that's kind of sketchy and we get to read this work and absolutely take them and take their words and wrestle with them and look at them and see them as fully human and those called we get to see a community like the Ammonites, um, who were like, who is this community and why is it not? Where is the book that comes from this community? That's all I want to know. I'm like, there had to be someone writing from them who was like, I know the Nephites lost their mind half the time. But this community, we have a conversion story and we're holding to it. You know, we've seen our fathers, our brothers die and be slaughtered for their testimonies. Our sons have gone off to battle and have come back alive. Like the testimony just of the Ammonites and the, and the land, the people of the land of Jershon is absolutely what it is to be fully converted and to know through bloodshed and violence that we choose not to live like that that we choose not a violent way, even when violent is at, violence is a part and how we've done so much loss and who we've lost. And then our children will be raised by single mothers. And those are the sons who come out and will absolutely fight. So what do you do with the people who chose not to fight, but then their sons go off to war? That's what's happening. So you're seeing all of that evolve in one community. And why don't we get to, be excited that we know that those stories exist and we get to wrestle with them. That we get to see a community that was converted, but then also, and said no violence, but then sent its children off to violence. Um, yeah, I absolutely think the Book of Mormon is phenomenal. Um, and if... And when I was teaching it for gospel doctrine, I was always like, come on, folks, there's so much here. Like, I felt like when you had the, not that I don't like church education systems in the way they did it, but I'm like, y'all, we got to go deeper. This is, this book is amazing. Let's do this work and let it continue to be a book that speaks into the ages, that speaks into our time, that lets us know that we are deeply loved and that the violence we're experiencing and hearing about and the grief is real. Uh, Fatima and I talk a lot about the humanness of the people in, in the Book of Mormon um, throughout the series. Uh, her, her recall of the brother of Jared um, Reminds me of, we also in, in volume three talk about Samuel the Lamanite and his record in, in the, in the plates and Nephi's, the Nephite's failure to include it 
at first. And then when Jesus comes, he's asking the people, why didn't you put in that record? Like, where's Samuel the Lamanite? Mm. And, um, and, and he kind of scolds them and he takes the prophet Nephi to task and says, you know, why isn't it there? And then he makes the people read the record and, and commands them. And the book says he commands them to include it. And when we were talking about this, he said, you know, every book of scripture, every single one, um, God scolds the prophets at some point, you know, whether it's Doctrine and Covenants with God telling Joseph, you messed up with the lost pages or, um, or, you know, Jesus asking Peter why he didn't have enough faith. It happens all throughout scripture. And yet I think with the Book of Mormon, we've been a little hesitant to, mm. to see it and to, which is ironic because the Book of Mormon is probably the, t- the holy text that is most upfront and honest about it. And they're saying from the very beginning, if there are mistakes, it's because we messed up because we're human. We make mistakes and they tell us this and yet we still pass right over it. Um, so yeah, we, we want people to engage with these stories and the, the very rich humanness of it and the message that we pull from it of, you don't have to be perfect to go on a journey with God. Mm -mm. You don't. And it, and it's, and it's not fair to ask these people to be perfect. It's not just or right. Um, but instead we can learn from them. We can learn from their mistakes. We can learn from their successes. And it's beautiful. All of these stories are beautiful in all of their failures and, and their successes. Remember when Alma, um, the younger, who's now old when I'm telling this story, and he's talking to his children and he's telling them, particularly, I think it's Helaman about his own conversion story when he sought to do all these things and did a, I love the fact that they're leaving their full testimony and they're not. I love that Alma's like, there was a time I wasn't who I am right now. Mm -hmm. And I messed up and I continued. And this is my conversion. And this is when I came through. And I, I suppose if I could be a fly in the window of that and to hear the prophet speak about what it is to know a life with God and to be fully human, but still fully called. Mm-hmm. And to make mistakes, to mess it up, and then tell your children, hey, you know, it wasn't so great sometimes, you know. Um, but then again, Alma the Older was his father, and he was <laughs> he had a long trajectory of, you know, not doing the right thing and coming to. And so I think there's this sense in which when Mark is talking, I, I really, that the prophets and how they're choosing to tell their stories of the prophetic is absolutely something that could be a testimony to us. Um, And I speak this, and we only say this about the men, because those are the ones who are moving most in the prophetic in the text. But yet to watch women and children and when they're named in, in the Book of Mormon is absolutely crucial. How they're being named, when they're being named, and how they're a collective. It's very rare that they're individualized. It's very rare that they're seen outside of certain roles. Um, But yet, you know, like who, I mean, like the mothers who raised the stripling warriors, like we don't have a single name. It's just an, an entity, a collective. But yet, I want to say that I want to watch all of those stories with great detail and know that women, even from the refugee origin story, who were stronger than their men, and that's that's in there, um, and and how the brothers are fighting over how much the women are going through, but you never hear the women talking about this. I'm like, why are the men fighting about what the women are going through? I'm sure the women have something to say. Um, so do not be afraid also to imagine what it is what we're not seeing and it's what has been invisibilized, but we know is there. And I want to give readers of any holy text where people are invisibilized not seen, or they're not even identified outside of a collective, what it is to engage in the narrative, a book of Mormon imagination, scriptural imagination. What does it look like to know? And what would it be to be Alma's wife? 
And what would it be to be a strip a mother of a stripling warrior? Um, what would it be to watch your sons go off? And what would it be to be a woman who was just getting together with other women for a spa day in the um in the field and then being taken off by a bunch of rapscallion Nephite priests who have been disbarred and everything else, and they take you. Um, what is it to be those women? And then bargain. What is it to be women who are bargained in war? Like, so I want us to have those conversations. I want us to look at this text and be able to have hard conversations, even about the ones that go unnamed. Mm -hmm. And the text often sort of dances around violence towards women. It will say that the women were carried off. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean when it's war and women are being carried off by soldiers and they're not standing on their own two feet? Well, we know what happens to women in war, but the Book of Mormon doesn't really say it. So rather than passing over it and saying, well, we don't really know or, you know, just kind of not paying any attention to it. What if we sat with that text? What if we what if we took those verses and spent an entire week in Sunday school? just thinking about what happened to those women just because it's not in the not just because it's not written in the text doesn't mean their story isn't there and it's on us as readers to to think about what's happening with these women uh, listeners i've been taking a lot of notes um I thought that's what happened for me during this podcast. Um, when Fatima opened Alma 32, I opened Alma 32. And these are my scriptures from my mission in 1980. So they're really old. And um, on that page, I have four scriptures underlined in red. And verse 23 is not one of them. Mm. And as I read 23, I wrote your name on it and underlined women and children and things you just taught me. And listeners, that's, I think, the point of the ministry of these two women and the books they've written is to help us read things that perhaps I've never read before. I've read that scripture hundreds of times. I've never read it the way you just taught it. And the spirit I felt in the understanding. And the next thing I wrote down is, I love this origin story, what you both have used. And... um. And I love that vocabulary and how that this is a family of refugees. Um, I love your point, Margaret, about talking honestly about the Book of Mormons. I can't remember quite the words, but it never really resonated with you because there's violence there agreed. There's few, few women characters agreed. But then Fatima's um, ability to, and your own journey to better, um, under, to better connect with the Book of Mormon. I think a lot of people may feel the same. Um, then I wrote down something here for me. I said, I want to read the Book of Mormon this year to look inward on the changes I need to make um, and sit with the discomfort versus confirm my own worldview. And mm -hmm. lis lis listeners, I used to think discomfort was Satan because that kind of made me feel bad to feel discomfort. Now it could be, but now I sit with the discomfort and try to be honest with myself and are these changes I need to make in my own life to be a better disciple of Christ? Because discomfort causes discomfort. And Margaret, were you talking about the stories of women and what was really going on to women and the violence and the sexual violence that was probably happening? Yeah, I don't want to think about that too much, but I think it's probably good for me to think about that so that I can better be aware of the violence, the sexual violence that's still occurring today in mm -hmm. the world and what I can do. So um, this is, you know, this is why I'm so glad that you're doing this work and it's so needed. And um, but I just hope, you know, those of you that are teachers or those of you that are students, um, we do try to push a little bit as we read, as we teach the Book of Mormon. And not just go to Sunday school and want our own worldview confirmed and just, I think it's good to be, learn to live with discomfort. I also like, Fatima, where you're honest about your journey with the church, that you're no longer in the church, and but you love the Book of Mormon. And 
10 years ago, this is a little tangent. Um, 10 years ago, I would have felt some sadness about that. And I would have thought, well, you know, Fatima, you, you haven't quite followed the path God for, has for you. And I'm sorry to say that out loud. And now I, and I feel so strongly about this, listeners, that, you know, and this is me speaking about people that have stepped away from our church and are doing wonderful things, is I just honor your journey and recognize your relationship with God is not something for me to judge. And your ability to bless the lives of so many people still in our church and in the circles you're in, I just trust that you're following the personal revelation um, that is coming your way on how to bless God's children and how to serve and live a covenant life, um, your covenant with God to bless his children. So that's yeah. how, you know, if you're wondering a little bit about how you should feel about, you know, there's some people that have left the church that just want the church to fail on everybody to leave. And I wouldn't even say you've left the church, you know, cause you love so much about the church. You're just serving in a, in a wonderful way. And so I hope that's okay. Listeners, I hope that's not <laughs> triggering um, Reverend Dr. Soleil. Um, but I just wanted my listeners to know how I handle that. And I want to learn from people in all circles, because it helps me be a better disciple of Christ. But um, I want to get you both keep talking. So I'm sending it back to you. Margaret? Um, no, I, I, I just want to reiterate, I, Fatima is a woman of God, and she, um, she has so much to teach us uh, about how God speaks to people. Um, one of the, one of the themes in the book is the many different languages that God speaks. And that sometimes we think of, we, we like the story of, um, of Elijah and God speaking in a still small voice. And that I think resonates, uh, for a church that is, um, you know, pretty reverent in terms of being quiet and well-ordered and, um, and knowing who's supposed to speak and when, um, and in the book of Mormon, God and angels and the Holy spirit speaks in all different kinds of languages. Sometimes the, the angel shouts uh, sometimes people are knocked down to the ground. Mm. Um, sometimes people are singing uh, loudly with praise. Mm. Um, so worship and and communication with God uh, happens in in many different ways. And and what we say is that if we want to to know God, we need to learn to speak. Some of we need to be multi fluent. <laughs> We need to be willing to listen in all the different ways that God speaks. And, um, and maybe we should speak in more ways than, um, than we're comfortable with sometimes. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's one thing I've really picked, picked up from this text is how are the, what are the ways that I haven't been listening and, um, and how can I open myself up? to to more of the ways that God speaks. Love that, Margaret. I think as we um I I think one of my final things or what I want to say is I want to go, especially since we're talking about volume three, I love Moroni. Um I think Moroni just has seen so much devastation, all his people, all his friends he knows not whether to go. He just, he's um, running around trying to hold these plates and keep things together. And yet he is so beloved, you know, he's just such, you know, he's seen so much and he's alone mm -hmm. and he's alone. You know, um, not only is he alone, he's watched what is then the Lamanites kill all his people. And yet um, his story and even Mormons is like they know that this book and what they're holding to is absolutely for their for the Lamanites. I, I can't think 
of any, and I'll say this over and over again, I can't think of any harder commandment than to watch everyone I know be slaughtered and then hold on to a record so that those people who did the slaughtering may know God. I think that the sort of idea that God would even ask of them something this monumental and almost seems I'm like, God, I know you must be lying. That cannot be a command for anybody. Like, how are you going to ask this man to witness so much devastation at the hands of these people and then say, keep this record so that way they may know the record of your people, which is basically gone so that they can have, they can know God. And if anything of the Book of Mormon, I love that there is deep heartache and grief and also a deep love in God's command of the text and what God asks of the prophets who hold the holy text. And so I think it's fitting that we end Moroni. It's fitting that he write those last few chapters and he gives us some of our greatest texts about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, and beckons you and invites you to pray and beckons and invites you and gives us our sacrament prayers. Like it's befitting a God who loves us, but also we are people who know so much violence and grief. And at times it looks like we're pitted to hate one another. And it'd be just like God to say, now write them a love letter about your journey with the divine. Wow. Don't stop now. Keep sharing. You said 45 minutes. Oh. Osler. Brother Osler. <laughs> yeah, but I want to go longer. So. <laughs> um, we've, we could go another 10 minutes if you if you've got time. Just other... I just know there's more content in your wonderful brains to share with our listeners. You're up, Margaret. So one of the other themes that we uh, pursued pretty deeply with this third volume is what happens in Helaman. And you have this um, sort of gradual slide into some of the worst parts of of the Book of Mormon uh, Mm. before before Christ comes and sets it right for a while. And, um, and what really comes through in this book, which is a, such a beautiful book. I wish we spent more time on healing, yeah. uh, because it's, it's really so extraordinary is this idea that, um, consumption and material wealth and uh, and tools and swords are are not where we uh, can put our trust that these things are going to slip away and uh, and if we're so distracted, um, you know the the theme of distraction is huge in this text. The people keep looking at what is shiny and what is exciting. Mm-hmm. And kind of what is new, and there's no focus on on God. There's no focus on the poor among them. There's no focus on caring for one another, uh, because because they're just um, they're just so intensely uh, sort of focused on themselves. And um, I think this has you know huge ramifications for our society today uh, in a world where. We tend to kind of look at what is what is glittery, what is shiny, what's what's passing through. Um, what is it that we're putting our trust in? And uh, you know, I, I've just been working in the Old Testament, and you see the same these same things uh, themes working through Deuteronomy, right? And and working through uh, the the books of of Judges and um, and Kings where the people cycle through again and again in uh, sort of what is 
they're taking their eyes off of God and, and they can't focus on, on building community and because they, they make these idols of, of wealth. And, um, anytime you see that in the book of Mormon, you know, we talk about the pride cycle, but, uh, anytime you see these people sort of building, um, building idols of wealth, right. You know, that's, things are about to get really bad. so yeah, I, I I wish we took the edicts of caring for the poor and building beloved community more seriously in this text. Yeah. I you know, as you read that, I opened up Helaman as um in Helaman 12, um five. It's just you lift up a part how quick you are. It's like a, a, t- a two-step. It's quick, quick, slow. You're quick to boast, you're quick to do iniquity, but you're slow to walk in wisdom path, wisdom's paths. So and, and it keeps up with like you're quick to do this and slow to this. You're quick to do this, slow to this. So I would almost add, like, what are we quick to do and what are we slow to do? And so I think that's the question, like. Where are we quick to put our focus? Where are we quick to move our lens and to be in our lens? And where are we slow to to hear wisdom's pass and to walk it? Um, I think you're very right. I love that about Helaman is that I think that Helaman is taking this very communal, like, why are we losing people? We're losing focus. Like, his whole thing is like, Come on, everybody. How did we lose our way? And I think what I what we also know about the prophets while also being vulnerable about the humanness of the call is that I think that the grief of prophets is so and the grief of the prophetic. And I'm going to say this, even though this word I know, I think it's traumatic being doing the prophetic with people. I have no, like, there's a part of me that thinks Moses didn't want to go to the promised land with them. I think he, he was like, go, you know what, God, go ahead and curse me. Let me stay right here. Y'all go on ahead with Jacob. Bye-bye. See ya. <laughs> you know, like I'm 40 years in the wilderness. I've had enough. Like, I think that was actually his retirement plan. That was his 401k pension is not to go there with them, but to just let them go. Um, and so I think for me, it's a sense of, I always hear the prophets almost like crying out, stop, readjust, move. You've got to think about things differently. You've got to think about them. And as we're moving in Advent, and this is December, and we're looking to Christ's birth, we get, remember that this time is a time almost of like waiting. It's the time of waiting for something marvelous to come. But yet something marvelous is coming. And it's coming in the least ways we expect it. Mm-hmm. So in a way, Christmas is about, this season is about waiting, but it's not what you expect. That Christ is not coming like the king you thought, but in a manger, somewhere off there with barn animals, and y'all are going to miss it if, you keep, if, if you're quick to look and expect something different. But, and you're slow to hear how God is absolutely moving with us in this season. So that way, when we see God show up in the poor and the disenfranchised and the, in in the prisons and the sexual assault survivors and our LGBTQ brothers and sisters and our trans siblings, when you see God show up there, I don't want y'all to act shocked. And so for me, I think at this, I love having this podcast during Advent in the waiting season of waiting for Christ to show up and to be born into a world that will defy all of our expectations of who God is. And then Jesus will come in and say, and everything you thought, I'm flipping that on its head. Mm -hmm. That's this season. Get ready for God to blow your mind. Get ready for God to show up in the most unlikely of places, places that we were unwilling to see, places that we were unwilling to listen to, that we've invisibilized, that we've thrown away, that we've cast away in the margins. If this season is about anything, about the sparkling light 
of this world. It is a light of the world that came in a way that no one was expecting. Can I say one more thing about the violence in the text? Um, I, I mentioned this earlier, and so about how much I've struggled with the violence in the Book of Mormon. And so I want to circle back a little bit to how, how we dealt with it. And that is, especially this last third of the Book of Mormon, it's, in, it's incredibly graphic. I mean, the detail that Mormon goes into in his record of, you know, describing these women and children who are forced to eat their their husbands and fathers and the and, and the sexual violence and the I mean, just the absolute depravity and how people are are tortured. And this was my my natural inclination is to say, I don't want to read about that. And I think the importance of it being in the Book of Mormon is God saying, it's real. That happens. It happened in this world, and it's happening in your world. And you may not want to pay attention to it, but you need to look. You need to look at this violence. You need to look at the violence in your world. And don't just scroll past it. Don't just flip the channel. Don't say, well, that makes me feel uncomfortable and sad, so I don't want to think about it. It's God saying, I care about this, and wow. so should you. I care about these women and children who went through these horrific things. And I care about the women and children who are going through horrific things in your own backyard, in your city, in your country, and also, you know, on the other side of the world, that these things are, are the issues that we need to be paying attention to. And that's why they're in our holy text. So don't look away. I love that. Um, I just hesitate to say much, listeners, because I'm just learning so much. I really sincerely mean that. That's not just a platitude. Um, I'm taught from a little kid the Book of Mormon was written for our day. And when you talk about the violence, Margaret, and what's going on in the Middle East and in other parts of the world, and I scroll through those headlines, I try to stay informed. It's uncomfortable for me. But your point about why that's in the Book of Mormon and then our responsibility to do what we can and um, is very helpful. Um, I'm also like, you know, we kind of, I've, there's kind of the pride cycle is something I've obviously been familiar with, but I love where you point out other cycles in the Book of Mormon, like the Helaman. And um, it makes me, re it reminds me of the chasm that was discovered. I think it's Alma 36 um, by a missionary in the 60s. And so I, I um, I just recognize there's a lot of content in the Book of Mormon, a lot of reading. And I think one of the blessings of the Book of Mormon is, we haven't directly said this today, but you know we are each working to receive personal revelation on issues facing us in our lives, parenting issues, career issues, um, how to help with violence in our circle of influence. And I think the Book of Mormon for me anyway, I will read a, a passage and it will be an, an answer or just reading the Book of Mormon sometimes opens up personal revelation. It's not the words that I'm reading, but just kind of the flow of information that comes into my mind. And so there's just so many different layers. And if you're new to the Book of Mormon, I remember receiving this advice as a young man as a there's probably stage one of reading the Book of Mormon is just getting the story straight. It's not a simple story. <laughs> you're both smiling. <laughs> and I think, you know, give yourself some grace as you're reading it for the first couple yeah. of times, just to get the story straight. It may, you can still get these added meetings concurrently with that, but it may take some time because you're not trying with your mind to just figure out the story and who's what and where are they going. You can then okay, I got the story down. Now I can kind of go to the next layer that we're kind of talking about or the next layer in this podcast. So um, there's just so much wonderful content in the Book of Mormon. Um, I love um, earlier, Margaret, where you talked way in the beginning about typically perhaps what Latter-day Saint authors write about that are women. They write about Heavenly Mother and they write about women in the priesthood. And I think that, and I think you said that's good. But I'd love that just the vision for 
one of the things you're both doing is creating vision um, for women in the church and broader, and also men's vision for women in the church, because we're not, I hope I don't pigeonhole you two and say, well, you're wonderful authors and scholars and disciples, and you ought to be writing about Heavenly Mother and and women in the priesthood, because that's kind of what I would say is a, you know, a male. So I like, that was just a really kind of a wonderful principle um, to let every Latter-day Saint, male and female, but I think particularly female, which we sometimes might pigeonhole into a certain calling, a certain way of doing things, a certain career. And um, let's don't do that. Let's let everybody fully become who their heavenly parents intend them to become without a culture sort of managing them the way we think everybody should be, if I'm wording that okay. You two are wonderful scholars, authors, disciples, theologians. Um, I have to give, you know, I mentioned this on episode 710, um, but back in about 2016, when I was trying to figure out how to become an LGBTQ ally, somebody sent me um, Dr. Saleh's talk that she gave at Sunstone, I believe in 2015. And I listened to that talk 10, 20, 30, 40 times. And it is the most important talk I've ever listened to. Uh, Maybe the top three. I won't say, you know, I won't want to be like over the top, but it gave me the theological vision and the doctrinal foundation um, in a way that only Dr. Soleil can do it. When she talked about the Canaanite woman, a story I was kind of familiar with, but the way she taught that, she didn't make up doctrine. She just opened my mind to the doctrine of the Canaanite woman and gave me the theological vision, the doctrinal foundation that I could be an LGBTQ ally. And I, I have to think there's, for both of you, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that have been blessed because of your vision, your understanding of the scriptures, your work. You have blessed me. And and hopefully I've been able to bless some LGBTQ people and bring more understanding in our community um, and use my privilege. You taught me about privilege. You taught me about being an ally and getting out of the way and letting other people shine, which is all doctrinal. It's not like you made up stuff. Um, <laughs> so um, if you want to listen to Dr. Soleil's talk, you can go to episode 710. It's in the show notes. We link to it in the show notes. Um, cause it's a really powerful talk. One of the many powerful talks you've given, uh, that's all I've got, but I'd love to just, you know, I usually have my guests kind of share some final thoughts. So I'll let you decide who goes first and you could give some final thoughts. Margaret, you want to go first? Yeah. Um, So I said before that one of our greatest hopes was that people would feel empowered to read the scriptures, particularly the Book of Mormon, in new ways. And I just want to reiterate that and say, um, I think in many of the responses that I've had to these books, um, people talk about the scriptures like they're handling them with kid gloves or like they have nothing to add to the conversation about what the scriptures mean. And that um, we almost treat it, you know, we don't believe in a closed canon, but we almost treat interpretation of scripture as a closed canon, as if everything that we could learn from the Book of Mormon has already been put into the manual. And so there's nothing else to say about it. And I just really hope that people will read this and say, I hadn't thought of that before, but I have thought of this before with the text. And just because I haven't heard that said in in Sunday school doesn't mean that it's any less inspired than anything else that I've heard in Sunday school. And I'm going to share it and I'm going to talk about my experiences with the text and and my interpretations and, and my journey with God. I think 
one of the really extraordinary things about the Book of Mormon is that it's a collection of stories. It's it's people's story about how they experienced God in their lives. And and it looks really different for, for different people. They 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 encounter God in different ways and they learn different things from it. And I am really excited for the day that we can all sit down together and say, what was your journey with God like? How did you, how did you see God in your life? And, and I think we can get that from the text and I think we can continue the legacy of the text by continuing this work of saying, this is what the, this is what the book of Mormon says to me. And because of this life experience I had, these are the questions that I'm asking, and these are the answers that I got from it. And that may look totally different from the answers you got from it. But wow, isn't that interesting? Isn't it interesting what you learned? And and isn't it interesting what I learned? And, And I think we're all the richer from those kinds of conversations. I echo that. That's that's beautiful. And I um oh, then we get ringing. Um, I think that I would like to end. I've been really careful lately that um and and intentional about blessing folk. Um, when I come into community or in conversation with them. Not necessarily in a formalized way, um, but just in a way to say, um, so just to all those in the sound of our voices who will hear this podcast and may hear just minutes or may hear the whole thing, may, may our journeys with the divine continue to bear witness and testimony of how deeply loved you are. How deeply seen, how God knows your name. God knew you before your form in your mother's womb. And may we do a work, a good work, a love work, both within our families, our communities, and this world. And may scripture, however it comes to us, continue to bear testimony of a God of love who invites us to do. A love work. And I leave that blessing with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Thank you, Dr. Reverend Fatima Saleh and Margaret Olson Hemming. Um, you two are great and bless so many lives and such an honor to have you on the podcast. And there's a lot of guests that would just love to reach out through their mics or their earbuds or however they're listening. It'd be both a big hug. Um, your work's making a big difference in our community and beyond. And listeners, we'll link to the sh- in the show notes to um, um, all three of the volumes of, of the Book of Mormon for the least of these. And this is Richard Osler, your host, signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>